You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What does your day look like? I mean, are are you waking up with the idea of songwriting? Is it like you get an idea at a random time and you run into your space and try and log it? Like, how does that work for you? Oh, so, like, I mean, the ideas come in varying times. I've had like recently, which hasn't happened in a long time, but I had like melodies in a dream, and I woke up and like frantically tried to like capture that thing again, which has been cool. But most of the time, it's me like being not able to write or work and like going to the grocery store and like humming into my phone, this stupid kick pattern that I heard, or like, like, you know, something that's tweaking, going in like rattling in my brain and then going to the computer and like trying to recreate it. Hello everyone. And welcome to another episode of 2020. I'm Siobhan Cronin here with Ben and Corey, and we are back for part two with my friend and bandmate, Corey Juba, uh, newest member of star set. As we've said, we've kind of collected them all. We've got all the Pokemon <laughs> in the bag. So, this one Check was fun. This one was fun because because uh, Corey is uh, he's not only an incredible musician, but he also is into the audio engineering, producing, and, and all that stuff, which Ben and I uh, also dabble in a little bit. So <laughs> we got to kind of nerd out a little bit, which is always enjoyable for me. And I think people kind of it'll be cool to get a perspective on his songwriting process um, and, and his writing and, and how he approaches music and visualizes music a little bit more in this episode. And if you're a producer or like you you record your own tunes, like this guy is awesome. He really knows what it's like to be a, a guy that does everything. I mean, he plays so many different instruments and you can tell like he just hears it in his head. And that's an amazing thing in a composer and what he's bringing to Starset considering he plays like, you know, everything. So check <laughs> yeah. it out. Like and subscribe at 2020-d.com and stay tuned right now for part two with Corey Juba. Corey! Hey guys, what's going on? Welcome to another episode of 2020. Corey here with Siobhan and Ben as always, and we are super pumped to welcome back Corey Juba. And uh, now I have uh, he, we we share the same first name and, and spelling. Uh, let, it's, and spelling and the letters of you know four letters of the last name. Uh, both wear glasses. Both are bald. Both have a beard. Uh, so and we both like music a little bit. So, so check out the feels, YouTube feels cast for the visual. We're we're all like all four of us kind of twinning. I need to like pull my hair back. We got the glasses yeah. going, the headphones. I am am wearing my contacts as well. So I'm gonna absolutely. <laughs> I feel drunk already from doing that. So that, <laughs> no, was, just, that was just for a bit. All right. Well, I'll, I'll relieve you of the, of the responsibility <laughs> of talking while you come back to. But anyway, it's we're gr- excited to have you back for part two. We got into a lot of your background and joining Starset. So for anyone that didn't hear that, go back and listen, especially if you're a Starset fan, a lot of fun conversation about the new song and uh, how Corey talked to Dustin and got into the band. So this episode. You don't want to just tell them to save the time and that if you want to be a keyboard player in Starset, just learn how to sweet pick. <laughs> I guess, yeah just play play everything and then you I think much- yeah I think the answer is you have to be multifaceted and able to just handle a lot of random 
things happening, like key changes on the fly and multiple instruments and technology. And I mean, even me, I remember like some of my early experiences in Starset and hearing like DMX controller and Ableton and the time code. And I was like, what are all of these words that I don't know? And I was just like, yeah, okay. You know, the string (laughs) player that was used to reading sheet music. And, you know, lo and behold, now years later, I've taken classes and learned from all of you guys. And yeah, it really is kind of essential to to have some of those skills, and it's it's hard to get along without it in a lot of ways. And yeah, I think yeah. it's helpful. That's like very much like Dustin's mentality about the band too. Is very DIY and like do it yourselves. Anything that he can do do himself, he wants to do and like or be able to do. Even like with the, in terms of management now, like we're trying to be more self sufficient and take this on upon you know ourselves to handle it, which is really cool. And I think like building those skill sets is important. Like where. I, we know how our system works. We know like what our limits are and what our constraints are and like how to push ourselves. So I think, you know, being self-sufficient and a quick learner is definitely a skill set you can bring to anything. Yeah. Well, that's interesting you brought that up because that's one thing we we talk about at the show. So we're doing the acoustic tour right now for anyone that didn't hear the last episode. But um, yeah, in this case in particular, this is all like self-booked. So Ron, who was, has also been on the show, he's the bass player in the band, basically put this whole tour together. So it wasn't like agents and promoters and it's literally completely DIY, like show up at various venues that are anywhere from like a regular venue to a small restaurant or brewery. And it's like, okay, we're going to find a space. And yeah, he he did all the routing, all the logistics, all the booking. So it's it really, yeah, from beginning to end was like self-sustaining kind of. He did fix the bus today too, by the way. Yeah. So <laughs> so that's all, yeah, every day there's some some mechanical thing that Ron is doing. So listen to his episode. <laughs> yeah, it's incredible. Uh, we talked a little bit in the first episode, you know, about your interests in the the more technical side, the audio engineering, studio work. And uh, if anyone's made it through the first episode, they they probably care enough to stick around if we get a little nerdy. So can you talk a little bit about how you got into that side of um, the music business? Well, so. I- I growing up like playing guitar and like when starting taking it seriously, I always had like little ways, like little recorders, I think things to capture my ideas and moments. And then I became increasingly more frustrated with how terrible they sounded. (laughs) So I kind of just wanted my demos to get better and better. And I took it upon myself to, to dive into the tech world, which is easy for me because like I love the creative aspect, but I definitely love technology and like my right brain, my scientific analytical thinking is there so when i understood like the beginnings of like compression and eq i was like like on like gears started turning and i understood like how you can use these tools to pull out more emotion in your music and balances so i guess it, like the initial thing just come from, came from the drive of wanting my demos to be not shit <laughs> like i really want to sound good um, it's a it's a common uh, motivator, I think. I think especially yeah. probably for for like our our generation where we couldn't, you know, like like we were at the time when we were young. Studios are expensive. There was no chance right. of like going in to do your demos or anything. So it was either that mm-hmm. or find the kid in your neighborhood that had a four track and he sucked at it. So it's like, all right, I th- maybe I can do this a little better. And you kind of have to start figuring out stuff for yourself. Totally. Mm-hmm. Also, like we're in this perfect time where all these tools are so accessible now and. You know, like I, pro- I probably wouldn't have understood compression in the same way if I had to go find like a r- super nice LA2A and like, you know, have access to it all the time. But if I can. But how are up- you learning about that though? Like, was, was this internet research? Because I mean, even for me, it takes me like signing up for a Berkeley class to even begin to understand <laughs> audio uh, things like compression. So, where, how are you learning this stuff? I, that's, I guess, you know, this is 
a skill that I don't think I just assume people like have this or have this drive, I guess, but I'm self-taught with everything. Like all of my music knowledge I've had, I think I had two guitar lessons in my life. Um, and that's pretty much it. So like YouTube's an insane resource, but I'm constantly reading. I bought like all the mixing books I could find and then went through them and, you know, spent too many hours on forums, like, you know, the old Andy sneak forum and things like that. And, and basically just, digesting any sort of resource i could so um, okay let me ask you this then so because you're you you seem pretty serious about the audio engineering thing when was the first time you plugged something into something you said holy crap because i could tell i'll start with me holy crap a good holy crap because I'll, t- I'll start with me so i borrowed three condenser microphones meant for a choir from my mm-hmm. high school and plugged them into a a, a roland vs uh 1680 yeah. And it was, it was, it, you know, it was 24 bit. It was the first hard disk recorder and it had phantom power. It was, and I, I put it in my front of my friend's drum set and I heard all these frequencies I'd never heard on my four track before. And I was like, oh my God, I can make this sound like Pantera. Sure. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, what was that first moment for you? Um, well, you believed in it, you, that you could be that guy that could make the record. Got it. Okay. So it wasn't, I don't know about being the first moment, but some of the most potent moments I've had was my friend, uh, Eric, who used to be in a band with, um, had a studio in Ohio and uh, like a pretty nice one. Like, you know, his his parents really shelled out and built like a really cool room for us to play in. And we would just, you know, toss up mics on the kit and listen back in the control room. And they sucked at first. And then I remember uh, distinctly, like we had this awesome, like Mesa triple rec amp and this, incredible like Marshall four by 12 cap. And I figured out like the perfect spot on the cone, or at least, you know, an acceptable spot on the cone to capture the guitar sound in the other room. And I remember coming back and I was like, this sounds mean. I sound like I had an attitude. This is cool. And I just remember feeling like, wow, like, you know, these, these are the tools that you, you know, required to do it. But I remember just feeling finally like recording a high gain tube head and then like, chugging and like do you know like doing like a false harmonic and then coming back and like listening to it and being like that's me what and then <laughs> being pretty stoked and and then you know that just it, it's just a starting point you like you see that and you're like oh it's cool but like i need more punch in the kick and then like the snare's not right and i you know i can't even tell you how many years i spend like sculpting snare drums to get them <laughs> right so you well, you let me ask you this common. what what per, what percentage of your tracks have high pass filters on them <laughs> what did real answer uh, you know, 90, yeah. 90%. but they're not, they're not super aggressive. It depends, but I'm not afraid. No, I, he's, he's referencing I, I a previous guest we had. We had Jonathan Weiner, who's a, a world acclaimed uh, mastering engineer. And I actually went out to dinner with him after that. We went to go see Jeff Beck. And I said, after the episode, I had to go take off all my high pass filters. And then the, the first thing he said without missing a beat is, well, don't believe everything you hear. <laughs> yeah so, so like, i started doing that out of like i guess habit like you know using like use you it's really easy to see what information's there but then you i like heard this awesome interview with joe barisi who did like tool um and like all these huge like iconic rock records and and they have such a big sound he's like i don't high pass anything and I was like, I'm the guitarist, and he's like, has so much low end. He goes, Yep, yeah, don't do it at all. <laughs> so I'm, I was like, What am I? What am I doing this for? 
Well, sometimes it worked, but here that's the thing is, and you, you learn this. So, like, I used to all I remember the first time I wanted, I went into a real studio with a real producer, and he said, "Could you give me an audio reference of what you want to sound like on your guitar?" And I had a VHT and a Bogner. I had these beautiful amps. We had a Matchless over there. I play Pantera, vulgar display of power. And he just goes, "Why do you hate mids?" He's like, he's yeah, like, what, what do you want me to do? Get like a crap, a crappy like Marshall Valve state. He was like literally horrified. We're at this beautiful studio, Longview Farm Studios, with all these one U forty seven microphones. Yeah. And I'm like, can we can we get uh you know the the metal MT two metal zone in here, and, and get the Dimebag Daryl sound. So oh, yeah. you know it's it's always it, but it worked for Pantera because if you know now you like you listen to the to the drums, it's all high end and uh so that ba- and, and Rex Brown is where the vocal should be is where the bass is. So you're like, but that works because they're just an anomaly. And that's when you realize that sometimes for some people using a high pass filter is perfect. And other times it sounds like tool. It's so situational. And and one thing that I learned, because I'm also like for production wise, I'm almost 100% self-taught and and watching other engineers I know, like looking over their shoulder. Hey, what'd you do there? But uh, one thing that happens when you do a lot of your own stuff, when you're learning to produce your own stuff and mix your own stuff, you're producing garbage and then you're trying to mix the garbage so you're using all sorts of tools that you know the guy doing tool he's receiving these tracks that were recorded and arranged so perfectly that there's no need to go in and like do all this crazy stuff whereas you know when i'm 15 putting a mic you know a 57 in front of this cab just (laughs) slapping it on the speaker i'm getting all this speaker rumble yeah i'm gonna have to high pass it out because i have no idea what i'm doing so it's funny like it's so dependent and and then it's you know, kind of comes down. If anyone tells you always do this or never do this, then you you throw that out the window and you stop listening to that person immediately because it's so context dependent. But the important part, I think, is how important the arrangement is in production. Because if you have the space for all that low end in the guitar because you've actually planned it out, then yeah, you can leave all that information in there. But if you are in Lost Symphony and you have <laughs> 500 tracks of just absolute anarchy, yeah, you might have to high pass the guitars a little bit. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that, that's a good point. Like, yeah, never. there's never like an always or never sort of situation. But I will say like, there's like this awesome YouTube show called Pensado's Place. Right? Oh, yeah. I just told before. Siobhan and Brock about yeah. that. So they always ask like, you know, how do you approach this? Or, like, what do you do when you have to use this? And the answer is always is no matter who the guest is, it depends. <laughs> so, like, yeah. And it does. Right. Like, everything is conditional and you have to treat your your source material different you know, all the time. So... But I think like, you know, don't doing like doing things out of habit. It's not very good. You have to understand why you're doing these moves, which. Yeah, it's like going to a house painter. Like, what color do you paint houses? Like, <laughs> um, which one? You know, it's like it doesn't any or any trade like that where it's like, yeah, it's you don't just show up and go, I'm going to boost, you know, you know, uh, 5K to get some clarity. Like, it's just what if you're the person that recorded it, added that in and all these compression and then EQ and stuff. So yeah, it's, it's funny the journey that you have to take when you are teaching yourself this stuff, which is, you know, it's, it doesn't seem like it, but it's engineering, it's audio engineering. It's right in the title. So there's a lot of stuff going on there that, you know, a lot of bedroom producers, uh, go like, I want my kick drum to be the size of a house. And I also want to hear my vocals clear as day. And I also want the subs and 808s to be (laughs) as loud as possible. And they go, why doesn't this work? 
Can I can I tell you something that I, I that I feel like you guys will appreciate nerding out? So this weekend, I so I, I went and hung out with Keith Wallen from Breaking Benjamin, your your friend Keith, yeah. freaking amazing dude. Totally took awesome care of me. Went and saw Bush, Breaking Benjamin, oh, and Alice in Chains. Yeah. So I'm hanging out backstage because Keith is the man, and Mike and Inez, who's one of my heroes, who played on Ozzy Osbourne's No More Tears and then got stolen away by Alice in Chains. He had the sickest sound ever in fact the sound guy was probably a little bit light on Jerry Cantrell and I noticed like there was this insane rumbling distorted crazy bass and it sounded so fucking mean it was like pro- I've always thought Mike Inez had one of the greatest bass sounds in fact the bass tone on Alice in Chains on um, Unplugged from MTV is probably the best acoustic bass sound in the history of time but anyway so this guy's backstage and he's talking to Chris from from Fishman and he, he's talking and he kind of looks at me he goes yeah so what I'm doing is I'm trying to distort only certain frequencies so I know where Jerry's sitting at and I know where like the vocals are sitting at so I found those frequencies that they're not at and I only distort those so there's no frequency cancellation and I'm like holy shit First off, I found the smartest bass player in the entire world. But then I was like, wow, that's not like why it sounds so sick. It's because the distortion is only living yeah, where no. the rest it's of the band that. is not living. And I'm like, yeah. that's why Mike Inez has the kill, most killer bass sound in, in history. And it sits right on top of Jerry Cantrell like no big deal. Yeah, multi-band saturation is mm-hmm. so cool. I love doing this. There's like amazing plug-in for it. That's like, it makes it so simple. It's called Saturn. Saturn, Saturn. Do you have Saturn 2? Yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> um, but it's yeah, like that's one of the best tools ever, especially for bass. Like a simplified way to think about it is like a lot of the times those people will split bass tracks and they'll have like the fundamental, like the low vanilla warm sound that will be relatively unprocessed and you kind of like really saturate and grind up the mid range. Um, but it's super easy to do that. But to like do that relative to other players is like really smart and pretty cool. That's an awesome thing. Probably to try experimenting with that later. Yeah. yeah. Well, there seems to be a million avenues to get to similar results. So that's that's what's kind of mind blowing to me is like you can have an idea for the type of sound that you want to come out with, and there's so many ways to do it. And that's where I get completely lost in the choices of like, in what order do you do this, and how do you make the choice of what to use and when to use it and how to use it. Yeah, it gets it gets crazy complex. What's funny about the uh, like saturation is. You know, all the old school mixer guys that were working 100% analog, you know, saturation was like something you tried to like very be very cognizant of because it was coloring the sound and doing all this stuff. And and now that everyone's in the digital domain, people are finding ways to use it. And now we have the, the ability to say, well, let's only use the saturation we like. Like you said, the multiband uh, saturation, which is literally, yeah, like you said, deciding which frequencies you want to saturate, which, you know, can give the illusion of more volume without turning stuff up. It adds these upper harmonics and all this crazy stuff. Uh, and so <laughs> I always like, you know, when we talked to uh, Jonathan Weiner, the uh, mastering engineer on the other episode there, I, I wish I could like imagine experiencing that, like solving all these problems that you had, you know, 30 years ago in audio engineering and you had like five tools, you had the board and like maybe a couple outboard, outboard pieces of gear and then looking at kids today with 5,000 plugins and, and oh, the yeah. ability to go in and do every little like detail that they want to do. And I, I was joking on that show that like I have 5,000 plugins and I'm only using like five of them because you realize after a while that if you can't make those like five things do what you want to do, you probably need to go back and start reading books again on like how to actually operate this stuff. Yeah, I mean, can you imagine like making the records that we like learned growing up with five tools? And it's like all done on the same desk, like the same EQ. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. 
and every bounce was was a performance because they're automating manually. They got every, everyone's got a hand on a fader going right. up and down and like that. No, but hold on. But I, I just want to uh, uh, harken back to Nuno Betancourt, who in the Jonathan Weiner episode, you should go back and listen to, walked in and asked this guy to master the record, but then pulled out his guitar amp and said, okay, cool. I'm just going to overdub some uh, solos as he's mastering it live to two-inch tape. Sweet. Like, what kind of world do you live in when that's happening? I mean, like, uh, that's that's craziness. It's stressful. But I think... You know, <laughs> It is that actually gives me an anxiety attack just thinking of it because I'm pretty angry about like like processing audio, like especially printing. You're like you're you're committing stuff, but yeah, like learning the tools is so important. Like if you understand, like just speaking about saturation, I use that all the time, especially when doing all the sound design for the star set sounds that we use live. Is like if I didn't saturate stuff, that synth would be so abrasive and pokey, and the transient would like be annoying to hear. So you can like kind of tame things in certain ways and get them to sit with other elements better if you know how to squish them the right way. Yeah, yeah. no, it's, yep. that's amazing. I, I I'm trying to learn about some of that stuff now, and it's it's crazy how many parameters there are, and just internalizing that and figuring out, especially when you're dealing with so many other elements, how to make something fit in a live situation too. You know. Yeah, and then when you have six other members, how to work around that too? Right. Yeah. Well, let me ask you, I mean, coming to you, you mentioned in the last episode that now you're getting around to building a studio and what, I mean, maybe you can talk about some of your experience in recording or having produced things or doing your own projects. Like what, what sort of studio are you building? Like, what are you looking to do with it? Like, what are some things you've done in the past that you want to continue doing with the studio you're building? Well, I definitely know that like the type of thing I want is basically a writing place. So it's not going to be a place where I would record drums. It's not going to have like super high. Actually, it's going to have pretty high ceilings, but it's it's not going to be a place where like I would build it for capturing live acoustic performances. I think what I want to do is have it be a compositional spot. So it's going to be the ultimate playground. It'll look kind of like you with a million keyboards behind you, all my guitars. But I'm very careful, and I'm still talking to this um, acoustician about like the final blueprints we want to do. But it's the the way to treat the room, and the way I want it set up. So it's just going to. And then Brock built built this amazing desk, by the way, which I'm sure you'll probably talk about later. But it's like I, I need to get my my desk and my. You're like, welcome. I it's my I it's my I take total credit for Brock building desk because he called me one day. Well, we I was with Siobhan. This is before his say, first desk. It, yeah. Yeah, in my in Miami, and and he was like. You have a desk, which I have this desk right here, which cost me like $5,000. It sucks. It's basically, it's an Office Max kind of desk, but it's basically because it has racks in it. And I had originally, I had my C24 back in another lifetime. I had to get this specifically made desk. And I said, basically, as soon as it says studio in it, that it becomes five times more expensive than like if you went to Walmart and then just put a rack in it. Now... Because Brock is so uh, in, has so much ingenuity, and he has so much muchismo and bravado, and that natural Leonardo da Vinci like wit, he's just like I'll whittle my own desk out of oak, and you know, and, and make it all nut. So I sent him a picture. I drew a picture. I'm like, this would be ideal. Yeah. And the greatest thing in the entire world is he actually brought my vision in my brain to life like a month and like two months later Siobhan sends me a picture and it's literally Brock's desk and it's like basically the same the same concept as what I drew but like just beautiful like this beautiful piece of furniture and I I didn't I felt so happy I was like a Jewish mom like oh my god my vision came to life and, and, and Brock is a 3D printer 
Uh, yeah, that's awesome. I guess like same thing. You know, I being in so many studios forever, I figured out some things of what I definitely wanted, but mostly what I don't want. So the the way the desk layout, and I'm going to be so so specific for where my monitor placement is in the room, and all that. I mean, it gets super super nerdy and kind of like aesthetic design at some point. But uh, I'm really excited to do it. But it's mostly just going to be a layer that is for playing with synthesizers. <laughs> yeah, that sounds awesome. Is it going to be like attached to where you live or is it a separate thing? It's going to be separate. It's going to be so off of the, so our garage right now is leaning and we have to redo the garage. So basically we have this massive backyard and I'm just going to build an extension off the garage as a totally new building. Uh, oh, that's so, awesome. Yeah, so I'm excited so about wait, it. Yeah, Brock and I talk about this a lot. Why, Go ahead. Why aren't you going to do drums there? Because you don't have to have a studio, a Sound City Studios no. to have good sounding drums better rooms for it i don't want to i think i want it to be mainly for writing and composing and then if we have to track drums i'll just rather do that elsewhere with like better preamps and i don't want to like put in big sneaks and stuff and i don't i don't really plan on like having people come over to like do drums here you rather, say that now yeah i know but like, well no but that not, makes sense because it yeah. depends on your wheelhouse like what you want to do i mean no every i say probably... that because look i have a bullshit ranch in randolph massachusetts and look Corey can say he's saved things in so many different ways and that i don't understand what a standing wave is i get it Corey. <laughs> fine but that said like tons of people in my bullshit house say all the time how awesome these drums sound first off it's because we have paul lorenzo who's one of the greatest drummers which it starts with good drums uh, yeah, yeah, good yeah. drumming and then good drums and good mics and i have all of those things but I have a pretty bullshit room. So I just want you to understand that like part of writing, at least for me, having my own studio, and I understand because I had the same vision of you. That's why I don't have two bathrooms and my fiance laments. She's like, what were you doing? Why are you almost 40 years old? You don't have two bathrooms. It's like, because I have a fucking non-parallel wall studio that's like, I spent sound design but the point is is that you could make it sound great and for me writing being able to send a drummer over there and be able to do drums even if it's at a simple thing being limited by your preamps saying someone else's preamps is better that's stupid i made things in a digio too that i'm proud of oh, i had a double it too the the i think i'd rather first of all I'd ra i love mixing much more than i love tracking so i would rather have people send me things to mix than going uh let's try that chorus again uh mm -hmm. let's do drums again let's do like it's just a whole different side of the music world that like my heart is much more in either like well, that makes sense uh, capturing you know so uh, but it's going to be a sweet spot to track guitars and basses and synths and all things like that of course but drums are a very specific thing i think better rooms are suited for it do you know what kind of monitors you're gonna get? Because you said mixing, so that means to me that you're that you're friends with Brock. That means that maybe you are you gonna let him beat you with these giant focals? Are you gonna fucking kick his ass? <laughs> well, Brock and I want the same monitors that we'll probably have to sell a kidney for. Maybe we'll like team up and get one each. But like the, the Osbergers or whatever. ATCs. I really love ATCs, them. I yeah. them at Nam, and they're they sound amazing. There's also a few other companies like, um, I think. I don't know. There's there's a couple ones like there's like Dutch and Dutch or something like that that make amazing monitors and um, a lot of like these you know boutique European companies that you know are charging like ten grand a speaker and that's really what I need for my kick drum to sound the way I want. <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, what was it that Jonathan Weiner had to say about monitors? Oh yeah, he said uh, basically you got to spend at least eight grand uh, for the pair. Otherwise, you're just he's like close but no cigar, which made uh, me cry. Yeah. 
<laughs> on the same side of the coin though if you had like one of these mixers come and mix on like your like, folk house they'll make like an insane production so yeah you have to yep. know your speakers but i haven't really outgrown mine yet i'm using atoms and they're awesome but i i'd rather you know uh, it, which, it, which atoms uh a7x's they're just like oh, cool. you know, i just know those things so yeah. well and put them in a million rooms yeah <laughs> like they're fun listening monitors and stuff like that they sound great in the high end they're not fatiguing which yeah. when i'm like doing high gain guitars forever they you know that's something in I find a perfect uh, a, a combination of anxiety and depression actually is the best <laughs> monitor for me because it doesn't matter how bad my speakers are. I still hate everything, whether you're putting it through Osbergers or a Martin Logan's or or my uh, my Dyn Audios over here. It doesn't matter. I hate it on every one of those speakers. So the less I can hate it, like if I'm basically I'm working towards how much does it not bother me? And that's that's why I'm actually pretty decent is because I tweak things. I don't know anything that I'm doing. For example, a, a compressor to me is just spank or hard or wall. And I don't. And then there's just like one fader. And I don't really know what it's doing. I don't know. Someone said there's a ratio. I don't know what that means. But um, I, I know that when I'm done, most people think that it sounds decent, and it's usually just a bounce. I mean, that's the literally the philosophy, the, the design philosophy behind the NS10s. Like they're garbage speakers. They sound so bad. But if you can make your music sound good on them, then it'll t translate everywhere. So like that's the same thing. You can just keep like without neutering it, but massage it until you don't hate it. It's a good thing. With uh, with modern technology, I'll say one of the, my favorite things. Uh, you know, since I've I have a I have an okay room. Like I I, I spent I, I designed it to the right ratio for I'm in a basement, but I I actually built the dimensions to be the right ratio for yeah. the least amount of standing ways. No, you I, really I treat as another nerd in the basement. Uh, you did as a third party omniscient. Corey actually has a very well designed <laughs> designed uh, room. With, with if you look behind him, those back panels making the room non parallel, also absorbing because they're filled with. All, it's very impressive. Oh, thank you, Ben. Um, but. I still run into issues, you know, sometimes with my low end and everything, just because it is a small room. So I actually figured out I, uh, a way to do uh, using Chrome remote desktop uh, and and audio movers. Uh, I can go out to my car and mix on my phone, and so I can check my low end. You know, how you do your car test. I can do the car test while I'm mixing. The and it's That's it's so the cool. greatest thing ever for like getting that that because I know what the car should sound like with that punch and the kick drum and everything. And I can sit there and dial it in. I come back into the studio and print the mix and, and send it off. And it's been the greatest like mix finisher I've like yeah, come I, across. Interesting. I've, I've definitely done the let's uh let's bring down the bass 2db at like 150 and then run out to the car test it oh damn that wasn't enough go back like yeah, over yeah it. basic i i feel like yeah. the paper cone of speakers in a honda civic are actually better for me in my ears than yamaha ns10s they're equally unforgiving but i know them better the car test is so important that's like the number yeah. the number one thing is yeah the car test yeah. but so i, I want to try doing that like that'd be fun to be able to dude, do it from the phone because have you ever wanted to just like sweep a frequency like just to find the yeah dude do it. It's it's what, the what greatest you, thing that's ever happened. I work in Pro Tools. Okay. Yeah, but you can do anything. That. You can just share the screen to your phone and then send the uh, the audio feed right What's to the your. Lag? Uh, like, half a second. Okay, so like you know, you drag it down. You can just wait a second. You hear. Yeah, it. yeah. It's 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 completely manageable. Um, especially if you're just trying to find that one like frequency that's that's driving you nuts. But like, you look like a maniac. You're sitting in your car like. No, that, <laughs> that's sweet. My so wife's like, like, my wife's like, I I can hear you blasting the same song yeah. for forty five minutes in the driveway, <laughs> just like oh playing gosh. with the kick drum. 
Yes, that's another thing about like having a space outside of the house is I can, you know, work on kick and snare at two yeah. in the morning, not like. Yes, uh, yeah. <laughs> wait, so wait, what is the, your, it's Chrome what? Like how do you cast uh, it? Chrome remote desktop. So if remote you have Google app. Google Chrome, yeah, you can just do the remote desktop. You just it, it takes like two seconds to set up, and you can access your computer. I can I can be at Ben's house, log into my computer from my phone, send an email with an attachment to my email, and then you know bring it up. It's it's insane. I, yeah. I'm not a huge tech like 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 text when it comes to like Google and all these yeah, crazy like shit. internet techie stuff. But uh, I, I saw like a post about someone doing it. And I was like, I'm going to check that out. And then I like had this epiphany. I'm like, holy crap, I can get my kicked slam without blowing out my car speakers now. It's great. <laughs> Is that like the first time you realize you can plug your MT2 into your friend's MT2? Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's exactly that's like that. I'm, I'm going to do that. That You're going to save me so much time. Of course I should be doing that. Yeah, Did you ever hit me up if you need any more info? That was my first. Uh, that was my first distortion box, and I actually loved it for years. I still plugged it in for like for years, and I thought that that had such a relentless sound. And I stand behind it because Chuck Schuldner of Death, may he rest in peace, was straight into the board like a gentleman with just an MT2 right yeah. into the board. Yeah, I love that. You, <laughs> that's awesome. That was my favorite. My my first, not my favorite. God forbid. <laughs> it was my first pedal too. <laughs> uh yeah that's awesome i'm going to definitely try that yeah that's where it's well at. i guess in, in the remaining time that we have i mean can we talk about some of the projects you are doing or plan to do outside of star set like you know in between tours i always think it's interesting to hear like even a lot of the fans ask this like what do you guys do when when you're not sure. on tour or doing star set stuff so tell our listeners about that uh, definitely going to finish this you know epic build which is you know going to be awesome especially like in the winter months when, when it's done i'll be able to like write which is going to be great and then i have two big tasks ahead which is one contributing a bunch of ideas for star set number five so i'm excited about that and then i have to finish this damn solo record that has been sitting in various stages of completion for years so i have all these ideas and starts but i want to like finally formalize this thing and put out some of my own music, which will be instrumental and wild and eclectic. And I can't wait to share some of this stuff because I'm really proud of it so far. Oh, that's awesome. So when did you start working on that? I I can't even, I don't know. It's like, it's, I've always like, I've had hard drives full of song starts, you know, like, oh, this is like a cool riff or <laughs> this is like a sweet melody or like, I love this sound. How can I improve upon it? And then I, I move on to the next one and then don't think about it. So now I'm that's the most. In can I tell you, I'm sorry to interrupt yeah, this yeah, is, yeah. for this. Th I think that that's the most important sign for me of a serious songwriter is the ability to write all these awesome songs that at that moment you think is the most important thing. And once you get whatever idea out in whatever piece, you just move, you're like, fuck that. And just move on with your life and you can have like literally albums and years worth of material yeah. like prince or van halen and then go back like same thing we did with the lost symphony songs i took songs from 25 years ago i wrote 25 fucking years i was like yeah uh, and let's just do this song it's the same thing that you know uh, dustin did with the new breaking benjamin song you guys did right didn't he just took an old uh was it downset you guys said uh downplay uh, downplay i get i conflate things sorry <laughs> Um, yeah, whatever. I, I can't remember my own name. But the fact is, is I think that that's great. And when you say like, hey, you know, I have all these starts and all like people ask about Lost Symphony, the band that we're in. Like, when did it start? It started when I learned how to play piano. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. I just think you have to be like, what helps is to have a way to capture it. And like, don't be afraid. Now it's so easy to record. Just record everything. Um, and then try to like get that spark and capture that moment and then for sure save it. 
and either return to it later when you're ready, like the next day or just, you know, a year from now or whatever. But it's cool to go back and listen to it because like one, you can see like, like I was a different person when I wrote that stuff and I was, you can hear like what I was listening to at that time and like what I, you know, was into in that moment. So it was been fun to kind of like go back and sort of like compile of some like, you know, a, a piece and of like all these weird fragments of like my life and like where I was at the, at the time and then figuring out like, how the hell did I play that? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. That. So uh, that, you know, that's been a big project I've been wanting to do for a while and like really do kind of a proper solo release. And so how did you keep, how are you keeping everything organized? Like, like how are you going back and looking at these things? Have you been good with keeping them in some sort of order or is it just kind of like me chaos on a hard drive? Yes. And no, of course, like I have, I'm pretty good at like my folder organizations and stuff like that. So it's like I separate it by month and year and then what instruments I was focusing on and then moving forward. But then with the, where I really mess up is my file names are like, like song idea one, final, final two, final, final three, <laughs> final, this is for sure yeah. final one. And then, you know, test mix two, bouncing three. And like, I just, it falls apart there. But like, I have like, you know, chronologic good systems. And I then, think that's mandatory for any uh, like sound engineer or mixing engineer is like your, your naming convention always has to be like, you know, V1 mix three final right, yep. for real. Actually, yeah. I swear to God, this is the final one. Yeah. I promise. I, I will say though, the thing that did help a ton which was ha is having a good writing and mixing template. Like I started, just took the time and built it. So basically if I have an idea, I'm ready to go and everything's live. Like can, super easy to program drums, super easy to get the best guitar sound ever just on the, on the click of a button and all my synths are live and pre-routed. So I can like- That made a lot of people angry, I'm sure somewhere to get all the best sound ever. George Lynch is sitting oh, there yeah. like, <laughs> like, you think motherfucker, you're just gonna pull that up on your fucking iPhone where I got a 1960 Marshall JMP back here in my fingers. Yeah, well, I mean, now we have plugins that like are so good. <laughs> they're seriously so sweet. So I mean, it's easy for writing. And like, I think the problem is, at least for me, I remember like trying to write a riff and then getting, you know, tweaking our tone too long. And then by the next thing you know, it's like it's three in the morning and I haven't gotten the idea out. So being able to yeah. like on the fly and like eliminate friction anywhere I can has been so helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let me ask, I mean, when it comes to writing, so like, let's say it's a day at home, you're not on tour, you're not doing something else. Like, what does your day look like? I mean, are, are you waking up with the idea of songwriting? Is it like you get an idea at a random time and you run into your space and try and log it? Like, how does that work for you? Uh, so, I mean, the ideas come in varying times. I've had like recently, which hasn't happened in a long time, but I had like melodies in a dream. I woke up and like frantically tried to like capture that thing again, which has been cool. But most of the time it's me like being not able to write or work and like going to the grocery store and like humming into my phone this stupid kick pattern that i heard or like like you know something that's tweaking going in like rattling in my brain and then going to the computer and like trying to recreate it but like waking up i guess waking up you had your coffee this is you know this is very important because nothing works until <laughs> essential that. and then i noodle and it depends like some days if i'm like really trying to push for something like when i'm doing like the either like the writing for the next record or like my solo stuff it's kind of structured where i'll be like this is going to be these three days are going to be guitar and like these two days will be drums and bass or something um but most of the time i just kind of 
sit in front of the keyboard and I, I like having my sounds live all the time. So if I sit down, I'm not like scrolling through and clicking stuff. It's like I can sit and play. And that's kind of always been like my inspiration. Also, but like whatever, depending how, on what you do. What's up? I was going to say, how much of your day do you have to spend selling cocaine to be able to afford the ability <laughs> to to sit and just be like, oh, I'm just going to play guitar today for a little bit. And maybe, maybe a smattering of uh, analog synth. <laughs> I mean that I have the remember I did like run this company for a long time and like was a manager. Oh, so I, I saved so you've, you've saved that. really well to be able to like afford this lifestyle of awesomeness right now. Also like I'm star sets a big priority. So like I'm, I touring and then when I come off touring, I try not to, to book myself too much time. Unlike Siobhan, where she like flies out and he does need to get Siobhan's more. a psychopath. She's like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm late. I was headlining ultra with uh, 80,000 people with Kygo. Have you heard yeah, of Kygo? I'm like, I hate you. I literally hate you. She's like, I was also on the show called Queens Gambit. And, and I told her like, it's going to be number one. And I remember saying, isn't it cool to be number one? And she was like, what? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I to be honest with you, I, it's depending on the project. It varies in terms of structure, but most of the time, like especially like in our little break there, I I tried to fill it with more traveling and then like think about the studio stuff more. But when I get like, I think the healthiest thing, especially like working on records before in the past, the worst thing to do is for me was just to leave it like an open schedule and like kind of do it whenever you felt like it, and then it would take way too long and you get distracted. I kind of like be pretty strict without it. Like from noon to five, I'm going to be working on music and like be pretty regimented about and disciplined in that time. And that's helped a lot. Like that actually like makes me make deadlines. Otherwise I would just, you know, never turn in anything or never hit save and finalize it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's, no, that's, that's, that's the tough part. Yeah. I think, I think that's the weird thing about, you know, uh, going or just, just doing a weird kind of creative job um especially if you're self-employed and, and working for yourself I, I know that's something that i still like struggle with is, is finding like the balance to like uh balancing between like my production clients uh mixing jobs uh getting this like we have you know we have lost symphony which is this like just basically never-ending project that always needs <laughs> something done but whereas you know right now we're, we're, we're waiting on certain things so it's like it's in like limbo but it's like I should, all right well i should put i should set aside an hour or two to go through the mix and clean some stuff up it's like well but i have a client that needs their mix tomorrow i gotta do that and it's but like, then well, he's like but the flutes aren't aren't comped on this one part and if the trombone comes in and starts comped, stepping on the, the, the second cello <laughs> no yeah it, but it but just you know trying to balance all these things where you know especially where it's it's all on me it's like it's if i don't plan it out correctly uh there's no no one's going to yell at me until everyone yells at me because <laughs> everyone's everyone's waiting on their mix or their production and stuff yeah. and then I, I also have songs that i've written you know over my lifetime that i hear yeah solo record that sounds great and i go when the fuck Am I gonna work on a solo record? Like what? But hold the, on. Kind but of what asshole. made you decide? <laughs> if you guys go on to Corey's Instagram, um, he did a cover of Mario Brothers with theme. Yeah, which is that was awesome. Fucking I didn't know incredible. That until the other so, day. So yeah, well yeah, because he just posted. Because one day Corey just decided to tape, like video himself. I was gonna say tape himself, video yeah. himself playing bass, drums, guitars, like doing all these things at once, and it sounds incredible. And it's like the, and it's. It's his own arrangement. It's not. It's it's way more in depth than the Nintendo version. It's very well thought out, perfectly edited, and then and like that's what you put out to the world, Corey. Like that's your musical so solo here's, project. You know what I did? You know what I did that? I did that in the month following me leaving my full time job to do music full time. 
<laughs> that, was, that was five years ago I recorded that thing. And since then, I haven't had time to do anything else. That's why I reposted something from five years ago. <laughs> well, that's ago. a high-class problem, dude. Yeah. Yeah. The fact, no, the fact that you're point. so busy. No, but the, that is a good point because I, that's another slippery slope you can get into in music is like you can totally saturate your life with pro when you have a talent or you're good at something or, you know, people want something that you can do. It's really easy, like what I do, to just be like, all right, I'm going to fill up every free available just, day. Yeah, say to yes do to everything. For, yeah, to do something for someone else. And, you know, a balance is necessary because I, I do need that for inspiration, for exposure to different types of performances, different types of music. I mean, that's kind of how I get new information, you know? So it's it's super important, but at the same time, you can end up on the, the end of the spectrum that I'm at, which is like too much of that to the point that I don't have the space in my brain to have the meditative time to let that coalesce into an idea. <laughs> okay, Corey, a great yeah. question for you. As, as a sound engineer, as a nerd, what's the, like we, and I mean this in the highest praise, what's the greatest tip I and mean, we know that everything it differs all the time but like what's the tip that you can tell somebody that like always blows their mind like the, that you're like oh wow it's it's just command plus puts the screen back on <laughs> i i think that that tip would be to have templates that like so you're not setting up a session from scratch all the time like i got oh, so yeah. hitting, like you know making new tracks and then routing them to the buses and then setting up that that killed me so i love mm -hmm. i love like a plug and play thing that helped me so much and i was able to just churn out ideas and just because like the gear was out of the way like there was never thinking about how to set it up it would just like focus on playing and how to play and what to play and that was that's the coolest thing so that was like that's a tip that like blew my mind and changed a lot of stuff other than that i would say have a good naming convention <laughs> you're gonna right yeah which we can all learn from that um, another question on top of that is, how do you prime yourself for songwriting or coming up with ideas? Be you know, I'm not great at coming up with musical ideas, but if I have to write something like an essay or whatever, I feel like my ability to form sentences is way better when I read certain books or, you know, know what I'm that. saying? So, like, do you have, are you just taking inspiration from things that you've listened to over the course of your life or do you t take time to like intentionally explore music by others or listen to things more frequently to get yourself in that mind space definitely i i absolutely will like surround myself with with music like that you know relevant music and then try playing that and like start building the sounds like that just to get in that headspace because that's totally informs like if i get the right sound it'll inform like what you're playing so i think all that stuff is important but i don't just like it's kind of hard to switch gears abruptly. Like I need to like set settle into it so yeah. I can be comfortable exploring the space. But I definitely prime myself by listening to that music like on like nonstop and absorbing it, and then I can kind of like play in that little arena for a while. Interesting. Yeah. No, that's a good tip because I you know I try I've tried to be structured and sit down, and be like, okay, today I'm going to come up with some sort of idea and sit at the piano, and then. I figured I figured you out. I can tell you how Siobhan works. Siobhan works in the same way as if you start a sentence and then just have your your auto uh, uh, finish or whatever. Uh, because I'll send Siobhan ideas like uh, just a pulsing on the piano with like a like a lead melody. Yeah, and then she'll be like, "Okay, I don't like that lead. I'm going to change one note." Then she'll be like, "Okay, well the rhythm on this, like maybe I'm going to change the time signature on this." Uh, well, that one bass note's not it. And then the next thing you know, she's completely changed a song and written an entirely <laughs> different song. But she thinks that she's pretty much just written a song with you. And for me, what, so what I do is I deliberately write terrible songs 
with no rhythm <laughs> and I just pulse things and I'll send it to Siobhan to be like isn't this awesome and I get all excited and then she has to sit there and it's like a, a book report for her that she's now fixing so oh because she didn't start the book report now she's just critiquing it she has no problem going in and completely making it something fantastic and that's how she works but if it's a blank page she's stifled I, yeah you know, that's I, very I, true good point I, I'm kind of the same way it's much harder to start from scratch but if I have the seed, I'm really good at improving or tweaking it. That's kind of, yeah, it's kind of easy and fun. Like that's like the producer role. That's the thing like that Dustin's so good at is he starts from scratch all the time. And like, that's hard for me. I got to yeah. say, looking at a blank session or a template or a canvas or whatever, that's like the first stroke, the first note, where do you start? And you get like options paralysis. So I kind of, you know, the best thing to do is just start throwing stuff at the There's wall. There's only eight notes, man. <laughs> it's God. not that hard. Start. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> no, but it is. I mean, especially, I mean, like, if you don't even know, if you're developing your own style, you don't even know what genre you want to write in. Or, or you know, like, for example, I'm taking a class and it's like, we're going to start a song process by writing a groove. And I'm like, I'm not a drummer. <laughs> I don't even know what sort of, like, I don't know what it feels like to play drums. So it's so weird for me to start from can that. I, can I give you the easiest way? Here's an awesome thing to do. So go and find the greatest song with the greatest groove and steal it because rhythm is not copyrightable. So if you hear like Led Zeppelin, you're like, I love that groove. Take it exactly and then do whatever you want to it because there's nothing they can do to you. No, that's not a bad tip. I mean, I think, again, it's good to like prime yourself, you know, so in this case, I'm like, okay, I'm going to look up songs in this genre and kind of listen and see like what's going on in this style, what are some common elements and then have that sink in and then go in and approach it. But yeah, with absolutely nothing, it's it's hard. Very Oh, I have another pro tip. Yes. This is like this two, two kind of actually is one. If you're feeling like writer's block, I always jump to another instrument. Maybe like easier for some or harder on others, but like that always changes my ear and like my center of perspective for sure. Mm -hmm. Another thing is I'm guilty of this on guitar is I fall into the same shapes and patterns and habitual. Mm -hmm. So then what I do is totally throw the guitar in some way out, like alternate tuning, different and tunings. All, all day different and i love that and i've written some of my favorite things because it forces you to use your ear and like really listen to what you're playing instead of just like falling into the same habits of riffs and that's like, interesting yeah i've never done that on violin and i've never i mean usually if i sit down to come up with any ideas always on piano just because i feel like harmonies and chords are my home base but that yeah that's a great tip i've heard that from other people too like great arrangers and songwriters that's awesome i'll, I'll tell you the, one of the one of the greatest days of my life was paul lorenzo the drummer in lost symphony came over and he had a baritone ukulele and he yeah. goes yeah it's in drop slide a tuning I'm like what he goes yeah it'll I change your life baritone and, ukulele. <laughs> and, and um frank the bass player at our band Corey was in the evening with us at one point he was like yeah no 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 dude uh, drop uh, baritone and drop A it, it'll change your life and I'm like what so I bought a baritone ukulele tuned it to drop A and it it really did change my life to the point where I actually had a baritone ukulele, electric baritone ukulele made for me, which is the most useless, useless instrument because it's essentially just a uh, a tenor guitar, which I didn't know this at the time. So I got punked. It's just a different scale. Yeah. But um, yeah, but it's it, I learned how to play so many cool things. And then you find out like, uh, you know, Wes Borland from Limp Bizkit does the kind of same thing. And, and where I used to make fun of that guy, you go and watch him and it's like, wow, that exactly. I guess. It's wild. It's wild stuff. So it's like, yeah, if you're bored playing a six string, just tune it differently. Or you know what? Take the top two strings off and be like the president of the United States of America and do something weird. Yeah. I mean, like I've written stuff I would have absolutely never 
been able to come out of me if I didn't just like jump into deep water like that. And it's cool because it kind of forces you to reapproach the instrument with fresh ears and eyes and and like really listen. And the, you know, you have, you're really figuring it out almost for the first time again because none of your scales line up and your chord shapes don't mm-hmm. work anymore. But it's cool because then you can like do really interesting things with open tunings and harmonics and like tapping and yeah, it just opens up a whole new thing. So I encourage like don't be afraid to throw like a stringed instrument to go yeah go nuts or like write you know I love like transposing things on different instruments. So if I wrote a guitar riff, take it on piano or usually the other way around. If I write it on piano, mm-hmm. figure it out on guitar. That's always really fun. Yeah, yeah it's great advice. Oh, so many tips, great tips. <laughs> I, I find a lot of the times when I'm when I when I learn things on I play things on guitar and I go back to the piano, it then makes sense to me because like piano is what I learned on. So it's almost like you know if I learned Spanish as a second language, and it's like okay, I know what it means, but then I go back, I'm like, oh, it's just a C minor seventh arpeggio. That's why it sounds interesting, you know, and it's, it is cool because it's one of those things where it's like your, your brain's talking to itself, like both sides of your brain, you know, when you're going from the guitar to the piano, cause it's like, it's almost a different kind of feel to it. And, and not just that things sound different on the piano than they do on the guitar, even if you're playing the exact same thing. So it can totally inspire, inspire you or even just, you know, slowing something down or speeding it up, like taking the same idea that you had and changing the feel completely. You oh, know what yeah. I mean? Or the time signature. It, yeah. Oh my god! Clapping on the one. <laughs> oh, so that's cool. Like I'll do that a lot if I'm like programming drums. I will not be afraid to just like slide the whole like MIDI roll over and like displace it by like you know a whole like quarter note, and then I'm like whoa, and then kind of like following that rabbit hole a dozen more times, and the next thing you know, you have a riff that you would have never done just by. That's how to- the Terminator One soundtrack was made. Do you know that? The, I think it's like in thirteen sixteen. No, so like th- th- so. The guy didn't realize that it was in such a weird time signature, the, the composer. And then they were going to do it to um, like an orchestra. They were doing like this whole compilation of different movie themes. So they asked him if he could write it out. And the guy like wasn't, I guess he was more of a synth guy. And he's like, what made you write it in 1316? And he didn't realize that he had done that. And it's because he was using a sampling machine in the early 80s. And it was off by like yeah. one sample. <laughs> cool. So basically he made this super jarring soundtrack that everyone knows is the Terminator 1 soundtrack but it was li- literally because he fucked with the sampler and put in the wrong parameter love that yeah those happy accidents <laughs> are so cool happy yeah <laughs> I love it that's Wait, fucking great Terminator soundtrack it's pretty gnarly yeah, and then like other things that are cool to inspire you a lot is like watching other people's creative processes so like Mm-hmm. figuring out how Hans Zimmer approaches a score blew my mind and watching him like walk through a junkyard with a sampler and like a saw and like doing this stuff and then shows how it, it makes it into like interstellar and stuff like that. Like I love that. So trying to like deliberately get yourself outside of your comfort zone and habits has been a really cool tool. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Just on that note, just, just realizing that there are no rules, I think is a big hurdle to overcome because when you're t- le- teaching yourself, you're listening to everyone giving you advice, whether you're asking for it or just looking it up online. You go, oh, well, the professionals do it this way and they do it this way and this guy does it this way and I got to make sure that everything is, you know, high passed or something. You know, I got I to do all this stuff and then you see like the guys that are really doing it and like, yeah, I'm walking through a junkyard banging on tin cans until I find something that sounds good or you like see, see some like, you know, the biggest mixers in the world going like, yeah, I found this old piece of shit gear on reverb and I plugged it in it was distorting really great so i just cranked it up and used that to like make noise and you're like oh you just do what sounds good that's Mm -hmm. what you're supposed to do you're not supposed to think about all the other shit you know i think that's easier for me to say because i'm from like 
the maverick rock world where anything goes like whatever sticks but siobhan you're like classically trained where this is the right way and this is the wrong way to do it so i wonder if like does that do you have to find yourself like sometimes turning your back towards proper training oh yeah yeah definitely well especially playing in a rock band and just like some of the ways that you have to approach the instrument to fit into that that sonic landscape i mean there's a reason certain customs exist because there's like a good approach to making sound and there are certain ways that are tried and true that it's important to borrow from but yeah i think it's also important to realize that like if you're able to attain a certain sound in a different way there's absolutely nothing wrong with that and if it if, that, if that's your sound, that's totally fine, too. It doesn't have to have existed before. You know, and so many we spend so much time in classical music emulating how other people do things and like emulating the style and emulating the performance and studying how other people did it. And there's so little about like, oh, well, how would you do this if you never heard this before? And I remember getting yelled at about like not knowing what certain like German words and music meant. Like if I didn't look it up, my teacher would like throw a book at me and be like, look this up and then we'll have a lesson. And I'm like, but you know what? I mean, yes, it's important. But at the same time, like what if something cool happened if I didn't know that before and I'm studying the music with my own ears and my own I understanding never of what forgot, I think it should be? I bet you never forgot Allegro again. <laughs> well of course it's important you know but but really like that it's the mentality that can be damaging of being reprimanded for not following something you know and it doesn't it's not an excuse to say like oh you should you shouldn't practice or you shouldn't do this you definitely have to know how your instrument works and know how to produce a sound and understand why this works well and why that doesn't but when it comes to the creative side of it yeah it's it's important to turn your back sometimes yeah, if it sounds good to you, that's a good enough reason. That's it. That's all you need. Like, if it makes you happy, that like, yeah, use it. I have like a bunch of gear, like you said, that's broken, and the like. I have pedals that are broken in just the right way, and they do a thing, and it's not supposed to be happening, but it's cool and I love it, so I'm just gonna use it. Yeah, broken in just the right way. That's that's a good way of putting it. <laughs> but don't you find that there and there's a lot of people with like confidence that shouldn't have confidence though, Corey? Because like I mean, look, you are obviously studious and like you take this serious. But we come now in a time where technology is not such an there's there's not a high level of entrance to get to high level stuff. I mean, like back in the day, you had to have a million dollars in an SSL board, and now yeah. it's like oh, you have an iMac and like you know a decent interface and a good microphone, you could make a, a Grammy award winning record. So it's like, do you think that there's a lot of people who don't? Because I remember hearing somebody recently telling me that they didn't that they loved almost everything. It's like, oh, I love everything I do. Like most of this, I'm pretty happy with most of the things that I do. And I'm like, I don't think I've ever done a single take where I've absolutely loved anything once in <laughs> yeah. my life. Like, uh, what do you think about like this confidence level of all these people that are doing backflips into technology now? I mean, I I don't I can't really speak for them. I see a lot of people who have like unwavering and unshakable confidence that with like no merit at all yeah. and I, I <laughs> but you know like these like soundcloud rapper dudes like they're they really believe it and that's cool oh, they like, believe they're in time yeah but i'm not that personally like i'm probably similar to you it's like i'm really self-deprecating and yeah. i'm unsure of what i'm doing a lot of the times but you just sort of keep hacking at it until you're getting something that's like closer this is like why i improved my mixes because i was like frustrated with it until you start carving away and covering away and baby steps and baby steps and more iterations until it becomes tolerable at least somewhat and then you carry on that's that's a good way of putting tolerable is is what i aim for well (laughs) here's here's something else though Corey, you should need to find someone like your Corey. So like Corey for me. So he's Corey number two on this one. But like for me, I realized that I was doing well with when Corey would like message me back and be like, okay, I can use these tracks. I'd be like, oh, 
I sent him guitar track. He's not like, is there another DI track for this? I'm like, oh, fuck. I screwed up. As long up. as so you're like, not now, in trouble, it's okay. Yeah, the, if Corey is, is like, I can work with this, I know that I've done a good job. Yeah, what better feeling than that? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I remember that happened to me too. I remember the first time I sent guitar tracks over that I recorded remotely. And like, he just like spit out some ideas and he, and I sent him over and he was like, great, we're going to keep it. And I was like, what? <laughs> but yeah, I just remember feeling like, wait, m my tracks? So yeah, it's, it's a good feeling. I, you know, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, man. Well, yeah, we're, we're wrapping up part number two. This has been awesome. Yeah, Corey, thank you so much. This has been really fun. I was excited for you to come on the show, and I know that all the Starset fans will be thrilled that they get to complete the full interview series with all the various members of the band. And it's great to share your story and nerd out a bit on some technical stuff and studio stuff. And yeah, it'll be great to see some of your outside of Starset projects, and uh, we'll definitely share them on our end whenever can, they... Can I, can yeah, I ahead, ask ben. you, because you're so, you're so techno-savvy and, and that you also play keyboards in the band... I feel like that you need to start doing stuff like Matt Bellamy with Muse, where you can like every time you play, that like the notes will trigger different like light stuff, so that in oh real God. time you're doing your own light show. Like, I've, just think I've about built it, man. Something like that. I, I bet did. you did. Uh, well, I, it's kind of, maybe we'll save this for like a future part of three or something. But I built okay. like multi-sensory composer instrument that it was attached to like it was piano is attached to light pipes when you play it, it lit up a structure that you stood in. Um, That's that. amazing. Uh, oh, it was yeah. cool, but it was really yeah, it was fun. But speaking of that, I would love to incorporate, and I know Dustin would too. Is like being like very tech heavy and futuristic to do some sort of like, you know, unique instruments and unique lighting things and stuff like that. So I think that's probably in the future. I'm sure it's in the works. The ha I was gonna say that has to be it because like you have the the biggest canvas to like dr to paint over this band with the technical side of like what you can do live because your fingers trigger everything. Yeah, I mean, lots oh, of options. I can't wait. <laughs> Or like, I know Dustin teases it, but I think, you know, the coolest stuff is yet to come. So we're really wanting to make the show bigger and more immersive in every way. So, yeah. Stay I tuned. want Middle awesome. C to be green. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, listen, guys, good luck on the, on the rest of the acoustic tour. Um, and uh, thanks for hanging with us. And hopefully we'll catch you again real soon. Um, check out uh, your Instagram, which is very simple, at Corey Juba. Uh, Keeping it simple, spelling it Corey the correct way, C-O-R-Y. And uh, yeah, man. Yeah, come see it. us on tour. If anyone is out there and hasn't seen the acoustic it's, show, it, we're on tour until mid-November. It's C-O-R-Y-J-U-B-A, because some other people might think it's like J-E-W-B-A. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so like he's not a, one of us Jubas. He's just a Juba. <laughs> thank you for clarifying. <laughs> but yeah, thank you so much for having me. This is super fun. Hopefully we'll do it again sometime. Yeah, I'm sure we'll definitely do some more episodes and everyone will love it and I'll let you know. Yeah, we'll we'll share the links and everything. It'll it'll be a hit. Very cool. 2020-d.com. We'll see you next week. Thank you as always for checking out this episode of 2020. Please visit 2020-d.com. Like and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes. This week's throwback clip is from episode number 122 featuring Ron DeChant of Starset. Check it out. Was the start of Starset intended as like an album first or was was the lore already kind of drafted? Like what what was kind of the initial pitch? You, you referred to the whiteboard that you found. So like oh, yeah, what, was, yeah. what, no, what, no, what no. did that he, entail? He always, that was before the music. I think that was 20. 12, 
and I don't want to speak for him because I could make, I could totally butcher this, but like, I just know from my outsider, like him telling me as a really good friend, he would bounce all these ideas off of me on late night phone calls. I mean, just because I was working. And so he would call me later. And, um, I just remembered talking about a lot of what he, um, you know, how he envisioned this to be and whether that was a, it never felt like marketing. It certainly never felt like anything but a wild idea. I just like there was so much to so much depth to the to the background of this whole thing. Um, it's just you know when you're talking to a crackhead that they're a crackhead. <laughs> you know, you just know you're like, okay, this guy's like off his hinges. Something's totally wrong. Like never did I get a feeling like he could totally you could put them side by side. And him yelling about this story and then a crack. <laughs> I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to Something About the Beatles, now on Evergreen and wherever you get your podcasts.